Good evening. And on behalf of Colorado College and the Summit Scribes Calligraphy Guild, we'd like to welcome you to Dr. Joseph Vitolo's lecture, The Golden Age of Ornamental Penmanship in America. Dr. Vitolo is an educator, and oftentimes the best way to know about an educator is to hear the insights that students have about them. So the person to give Dr. Vitolo's introduction tonight is a student that's been studying with him for about three years, and his name is Jake Weidman. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to, uh, to get, see this kind of a turnout for um, especially this form of calligraphy. It has such a rich history, um, as, as Joe will share with you in, in a minute. Um, but I want to I share a little bit um, about the man before he gives his presentation. Uh, he, is, um, he is a mentor and a, and a teacher and dear, dear friend to me. And, um, and we, we met through uh, the IAMPETH organization, which is the, uh, it's the International Association of Master Penmen, Engrossers, and Teachers of Handwriting. And um, Joe is just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, he, is, uh, he is an academian to an unbelievable level. Um, his list of credentials are um, <laughs> very, very long. And I know he's, he wouldn't want me to say this, but um, he's just he's so uh, accomplished in the way that he's studying and so professional in his pursuit. He has a doctorate in, uh, uh, dental, um, in dentistry in professional dentistry, and he is also has his Ph.D. in uh, biochemistry. Um, and he is currently a clinical um, professor at Marquette University over the um, uh, dental dentistry program there. And so, and he's done so much uh, as far as like into, he's kind of leveraged a lot of what he does as an academian and um, into this form of writing to really rediscover a lot of um, what was lost about this art form, and, and you will um, see he is so well studied in, in this, especially in this area, and, uh, and he's done a lot to preserve um, the art form in such an amazing way. And I've never seen a man who, who is so meticulous about his execution of a single form of writing. So um, it is with great pleasure and great honor I, rep I present my friend and uh, dear mentor, Joe Vitolo. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to come. Colorado is such a beautiful place, a beautiful place. I was telling Teresa that when I first came here years ago, I read a sign, I think it was at uh, Denver's airport, that God may not live here, but he spends most of his free time here. And I thought that's, a, that's pretty well said. And I do appreciate the, the nice turnout tonight. And, uh, and uh, thank you for Jake for being here. I always you know, tell Jake that I have heroes too. He is one of my heroes as well because he's so talented with the pen. And uh, in many respects, those of us in IAMP, but some of us in particular, feel like it's almost a passing of a torch to the next generation. And uh, it's good to see because we don't have a lot of it. And when you see his work, I think you'll find the standard that we use to judge work. And, and by the way, some of you may have been looking at these specimens on this top table here. Uh, is this too loud? No, okay, just, just checking. So... Uh, the specimens, most of them were done by past masters. The oldest specimen on that table is dated to 1886. Uh, and so all I ask is that you don't handle them because they're on, they're on acid-containing paper. They're very brittle. But if you get a chance, please take a look at these. We, many of us in Iampeth have collections. I have a massive collection of this stuff, and it's just a very, very small sample of it. Uh, Jake brought some of his work with him, as well as his pen holders. 
Uh, you'll find that our me members of Iampeth actually make inks, pen holders. Jake makes pen holders. A few other members do. Mike Sull, Bill Lilly. Um, and so it's, it's a wonderful organization. If anybody's interested, uh, you can ask me more questions or Jake about it afterwards. We'll be happy to answer them. So my talk tonight, why did I want to talk about this? Well, one, I love calligraphy. Two, it's a, it's a point of fact or a matter of fact that many U.S. calligraphers know more about the, hist the historicity of calligraphy outside this country than they do about what happened inside the country. And so if you mention Edward Johnson to people, most calligraphers may know who he is. Very important figure. Uh, but if you mention C.P. Zaner to some or Louis Mataraz, if you haven't been on the Internet, you wouldn't know who I'm talking about. So I hope after tonight you'll have some sense of that. I also plan on dispelling any misconceptions you have about terminology. Because one of the problems with pointed pen is what I like to call the name game. Copper plate, Spencerian, ornamental, round hand, artistic penmanship, you know, you name the, they've, they've applied it. And so people get very confused by that. And then also some of the actual tools that we use and why we use them. So I hope by the end of this you'll have a sense of, of that plus the history, our own rich history in this art form. So to give you a little timeline, and I, I copied this slide over and this, the, uh, the, the, the legend didn't come with it, but this was actually taken from, normally I want to credit where I take this from, from the Parker Penn website. It's a very simplistic view of the writing from paleography, cave paintings to paleography on up to modern day. And um, is there any laser pointer here? All right, not absolutely critical. But to make a point here, if I can get my, uh, oops, I'll use my arrow here. What we're going to be talking about falls in this small area up here, the very tip of this, okay? And so from a, you know, just a chronology standpoint, it represents a small little blip on that long line, okay? So if we take a look and blow that up, uh, using their designation of modern handwriting from the left calligraphy and copper plate, um, the actual forms that we're going to be looking at, this is how they spread across that time scale, okay? Um, round hand was developed in Europe and was, came to high fruition in, in, in England. And I'll show you some of those specimens in a moment. And then modern handwriting and calligraphy uh, span sort of the blue area. And uh, I will, and some of the, the beige as well. But what I want to show you is when we say calligraphy, this is what most people have in mind. And this is what actually got me into it. I love biblical manuscripts, hand illuminated. Uh, text lettering. This was actually, I don't know where that one came from because I got, I got it off the internet. There was no legend with it. But this specimen was penned by Willis Barrett. He's one of my pointed pen heroes. He was also a master of text lettering as well. And so the difference is one is done with a broad edge pen. The other is done with a flexible pointed pen. And most people are familiar with some broad pen work. But the pointed pen is sometimes, it mystifies people. So I'd hope to dispel some of that tonight. I mentioned England, and so this is John Ayres, Sir John Ayres. He was one of the English writing masters. And this period of time spanned about 1570 to about 1800, and that was defined by uh, a gentleman named Sir Ambrose Heal, who wrote a, um, a monumental work called uh, English Writing Masters and their copybooks. And so that's a plate from that. And believe it or not, that's actually his signature below. And that says Sir John Ayres. So one of the problems that was inherent to this form of handwriting, now, the thing about English roundhand, it was a form of handwriting that was executed with the, with the quill pen, 
a feather, not a steel pen, okay? And so at this point in time, usually only the writing masters were capable of producing that. There was a common everyday form. If you've ever, is anybody here fans of Jane Austen? If you've ever seen some of Jane Austen's letters, that was the more common form of round hand or copper plate. And so this is, and there were people, there was actually a movement away from this because it was so difficult to read. But what these gentlemen would do is they'd produce pieces like this. But what you're looking at is not handwriting. It's supposed to be. But after they produced this piece, they would give it to a copper, master copper plate engraver. And he would then engrave that for the intaglio printing method, where they put ink on it and use it to print out. So what we see here is sort of an idealized form, because any form that the hand may have made a mistake with, the engraver could easily take it out with the burn. And so this is a printed form that doesn't actually represent the hand-done form, but this is what's commonly called copper plate. And because the um, uh, specimen was engraved onto a copper plate, somewhere along the, the way, we don't know when, the term copper plate was applied to that form of, of writing. But round hand also applies. If you look at Bickham, how many people have heard of Bickham's Universal Penman? Yeah. Wonderful book, wonderful letter forms. But they're all engraved by Bickham Sr. There was also a Bickham Jr. And so I actually, I actually have a copy of Ambrose Heal's book and have access to a lot of the information about these, these gentlemen. And for better or for worse, this is very patristic, and so you don't see any females included in this, in this line, whereas the, the, in, the, in, the US, in the U.S. there were female penmen. They actually called themselves penmen. And so here you can see uh, Bickham himself, and he was actually a master uh, writer as well as an engraver. Um, but round hand copper plate England. Now I am overly simplifying this history. But if we now turn our attention to the U.S., does anybody recognize this? Besides Teresa, who I showed it to her before. Who wrote the Declaration of Independence? Thomas Jefferson. That's the earliest, one of the earliest known, earliest form before it was actually produced. That was one of his first drafts. And you can see him penning it out. But that was done, with the exception of the text let, of the, uh, the Roman uh, new, uh, letters at the top, that was basically done in copper plate or round hand. A very simplistic form. However, when we think of the Declaration of Independence, we are Americans. We have, well, whoever in the room who are Americans, we have a very definitive picture in our mind of what this looks like. But it's not the document that Jefferson originally penned. This was actually engrossed by a calligrapher at the time. Well, they were called engrossers at the time, and his name was Timothy Matlock. And that's him here. And that's the actual document, which is barely visible today. And actually, this has been photoshopped because the actual document, you can't read anymore. The reason for it is, well, I just, this is a little blow up of the area here. And you can see down here, again, you've got some Gothic lettering at the top. And that may actually be more of a German influence on that capital letter up there. But this is round hand down here, done with the quill pen. However, in about... 1820, they commissioned William J. Stone to make a copy of this. And he used something called, I, I couldn't believe this when I read it, the wet transfer technique. Is anybody's mind going there? They literally water the document down, press one over it, and lift. Yeah, 
yeah. And that's why there's so, that's what we see today. It's the result of that work. But the actual result of that work was the fading of the document there. Round hand still. Now we're going to be coming into this period, what I call the golden age. I didn't coin that phrase. Probably Mike Sull did at some point. Michael Sull is the gentleman who's res responsible uh, for literally recovering uh, Spencerian script from oblivion. Uh, Mike came around and published a monumental two-volume set called Spencerian Script and Ornamental Penmanship. So let's take a look at how we got here. Going back to that original timeline, the Golden Age of Ornamental Penmanship occupies the space seen there. Now this is a, again, a very crude illustration. It's not meant to be graphically correct, but uh, from about the mid-1800s to the mid-1900s. And many would argue that it really started with Platt Roger Spencer, who developed really a unique form of American handwriting. And this is actual, and I forgive the, the crudeness of this illustration, but we don't have a lot of his specimens available to us. Uh, they are around, but they're usually in museums. And, uh, but this was his actual penmanship. And so this was a movement away from the complicated form of round hand, based on the smooth ovals and the shapes in nature. But make no mistake about this, this is handwriting done with the quill pen. Platt Roger Spencer loved the quill, the quill, the feather quill. And so that's how this was executed. The, um, the, uh, mod the modernization and also uh, getting this form of script to a more exacting, precise letter form took some developments, and usually his children and, and students that studied under him that took, the, took it from where he developed it further. Now, there were players around this time, too. A gentleman named A.R. Dunton, who claimed that Rogers didn't come up with the first form of handwriting, he did. He was very vocal about it. But I'll let the historians worry about that, and I don't really have any, any, any illustrations of Dunton's work. So, Spencerian script is sort of the inception of the start of this golden age of ornamental penmanship. But there were other developments that came about that were very, very crucial. Uh, the, one of which was the, the availability of precision, flexible steel-pointed pens. Now, I'll go into that in a minute, why that was important. Also, you see this oblique pen holder. The earliest forms of Spencerian were with the feather quill. Platt Roger Spencer's sons and daughter... Uh, uh, who took the form further were still using straight pen holders but with steel pens. But at some point in about the 1840s, 1850s, this idea of making the shades easier by off-angling the, the nib itself was, was developed, and this is an oblique pen holder. So the actual first earliest patents were from about the, 18, the 1830 or 1850 range. And so, and what it does is it basically, I'm sorry, it takes the pen from a normal straight alignment and kicks the nib out so it's at, a, at an angle. And that puts the nib in a position to f better facilitate wide shade making without putting a lot of rips into the paper or ragged edges on the one side of the, of the, uh, of the pen line. Some of the dream points, as I call them, uh, and these are very highly sought after by modern penmen today because they're not available. My personal favorite is the one that says Muslim Imperfections in the middle with the red box. And we estimate that pen was probably manufactured in like the 1890 range. And so they're very hard to come by, but they're so precisely made. Could we make them like that today? Yes. Could we afford them today? No. You just couldn't put that much work into a pen. 
But the one that sort of stands out as the, as the pinnacle is the top one, the Gelat Principality. And there were many copies of that pen that Gelat made for certain types of business schools. Zanarian Feinreiter was a Gelat Principality made by Gelat for the Zanarian College of Penmanship. There was also a Tamblin Number no. 7, which is also a Gelat Principality for the Tamblin School. This is one of my video clips that are available online. All of my videos are available free at iampit.com as well as my articles. The reason why I'm showing you this is because I want to illustrate how a flexible point works. And you'll watch me depress. Now, I'm talking as I'm doing this, but you'll watch, I, I apply pressure to the pen point. And I, as soon as I do that, you'll see, the, you'll see the nib tines separate. Okay? That makes the shade. Come down with pressure, now you'll start to lift off, and the pen point will close up. And without pressure, you get the, you get the fine hairlines. And so differential pressure is what's, what the challenge of this art form is. Because when you do broad pen work, and everybody who's tried it knows that good broad pen work is very, very difficult. Very difficult to do if you're doing like Trajan letters or from Roman alphabets. But what makes this difficult in particular as well is that most broad pen lettering, basically all broad pen lettering is two-dimensional. X and Y axis of movement. This has a third dimension with pressure into the paper. So as I'm writing, I have to press in and then let go. So that's very challenging, especially for a novice to do. The reason for the offset is because if you don't offset it, you have to make the paper, to get the angulation we need for the form of the letter, you see the, the letters are all sloped at a certain uniform angle? Those dotted vertical lines are the main slant angle. You want your shades to be on those angles. If you try and do it with a straight pen holder, um, as a right-handed person, your right nib time is going to drag and you'll get a ragged inner edge, and that was shown here. On this one up here, the right nib tine is dragging, giving you a ragged edge. Now there's maybe a few of you who might be familiar with a pretty famous calligrapher in France called uh, Sean Archer, or Sean Larcher, I'm sorry. And uh, he uses a straight pen holder and writes very fast. He uses that ragged edge to artistic advantage, so it looks fantastic when he does it. But they developed this to get these smooth, these smooth lines. And what I mean by that, watch the movement of this. This is a slide that took me about, I first made about two hours to make up. I left the flange area of that illustrated pen clear so you would watch the movement. And so it's able to form, follow that slant angle precisely. And that gives us smooth edges on both sides of the shade. General rule for, for, for this form of round hand or copper plate is all shades are downstrokes. Most of your hairlines are upstrokes. There can be some downstrokes, but they're tricky. But every shade has to be a downstroke. And so the development of these things come together. And in this graphical timeline with the different scripts, which you'll notice, the very top is English round hand. Form of handwriting, again, executed with the quill. We develop Spencerian also with the quill, but some crossover with the steel pen. And then the steel nib comes in with the oblique pen holder, and you can see the form go from 2A, which is beautiful, but still a little rough in form. Now all of a sudden, B is handwritten form. But it's very precise, very delicate, dramatic contrast between shades and hairlines. And that's from the steel pen. And then finally, there is a, a further development, I guess you'd call it, uh, to ornamental script or artistic penmanship. And now you're leaving the realm of handwriting and approaching the realm of art more so, that the forms are more drawn. 
and they, that they may be written. Okay, and you can see how wonderfully embellished number three ornamental script is, and that was by H.P. Berensmeyer. But even then, after all this developed, there was a movement away from the shaded form because it's difficult to teach this to children. It's not something you can teach easily. So they stripped the shading off of it and came up with this monoline form that many of you may remember as the Palmer method, the Zahner-Bloser method. Nowadays, there's things like the Danielian system and there's italic forms and cursive forms. And, but that's basically the difference. So you have English round hand script up on top. You have Spencerian, Spencerian more ornamental and finally, the highly embellished, embellished ornamental forms, and then you have the business penmanship that's sort of directly derived from the ornamental script. It's not a complete revolution from copper plate. The forms are still there for the business penmanship and Spencerian. It's not a completely different animal. But it's been simplified, and uh, to see, like, number two Spencerian script, the sample B, I mean, that's wonderfully delicate. But it's difficult to achieve. It takes a lot of practice to be able to do that. And so I want to focus now on what happened in, in ornamental penmanship in this country from, that developed directly from English roundhand. I mentioned Spencerian, but now we're going to take a look at the copper plate scripts, okay? So you have the English roundhand at the top, quill form that was engraved onto paper. And in this country, there were people like Timothy Matlack, who did the Declaration of Independence, who were engrossers. And they wanted to adapt that script from England to their engrossing. And so they did that, and that was called engrosser script. There was also a form of that script, the round hand, that was used to, to, to engrave. Has anybody ever seen old metal, like a gold watch with beautiful engraving on it, or gun stocks? Well, the, engra the engrossers at that time would, would also mimic the script of the engraver, hence the term engraver script. It was just a terminology that was applied to it. And then you can see modern engrossers or engraver script below it. That's a specimen of my writing. And then finally, we have the modern copper plate from Eleanor Winters that sort of gets more back to... Uh, sorry, more back. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, don't tell Marquette University about that one. Uh, so it sort of gets back to more of a, a handwriting style. She's using an oblique pen holder with a pointed pen. But the only thing in common with the original round hand or copper plate is that the styles are somewhat similar. But it's not the same thing because the original round hand was a, quill, a quill, straight quill form. So now when we take a, we, we, another thing that really contributed enormously to the golden age are these colleges that existed, Gem City Business College. This Nary College of Penmanship is probably one of the most famous, and they turned out some masters. And many of the people whose specimens you'll see up here were from that college. My mentor is a guy named Bill Lilly, and Bill was one of the last graduates of this, of this Nairian College of Penmanship. It closed its doors in the 60s, Columbus, Ohio. My website, by the way, for those interested, is www.zenarian.com. I also run, if you haven't seen it, I run the, the Ornamental Penmanship Group on Yahoo. I run that group. We have about 3,600 members on that group. Uh, the, Iampeth, the Iampeth site is www.iampeth.com, A-I-A-M-P-E-T-H.com, and that has all free instructional material, I scanned some of these old books cover to cover and have posted them there because they're no longer copyrighted, uh, that they're available for viewing page cover to cover. So, Zanarian College of Penmanship, founded by C.P. Zaner, probably the greatest 
American calligrapher that has ever lived. And many people, he was just a master of all different types of hands and illumination and drawing. And his partner was uh, Elmer Ward Blozer. For a short period of time, uh, Charles Paxton Zaner's co uh, cousin, Lloyd Kelchner, was a member, of, actually the original founding member of the school too, but he was brought out by Blozer, I think, within the first few weeks of the college. Uh, name existence. And uh, curiously, I have a specimen from Kelchner on the table that was penned by him. It's two birds with some color. It was penned by him when he was in his 80s. And uh, there's also a specimen up there from C.P. Zaner as well. Um, and so these two gentlemen founded this college. Why it was named the Zanarian College and not Zaner Blozer originally, I can't tell you. What's interesting, if you go to Zaner Blozer's website, they have their history wrong, and I've tried to contact somebody about that, but they're apparently not that interested in it. These portraits came from Michael Sull's Volume 1, Spencerian Script and Ornamental Penmanship. They're used with his permission. This is the actual image of the Zenarian College at the time. This is what the classroom looked like. And they did other things, not just penmanship. They were taught you know, bookkeeping. These were people who used this as a skill in, in the business world. That's the, that's the old building today. It still stands. Looks very similar to the one, maybe not exactly today, but in the last few years that picture was taken. So, when a student went through the Zanarian College in their certain discipline, they had to produce their own certificate. Okay? So, this certificate was penned by Earl Lupfer, who was, I'm sorry, this, I'm sorry, the certificate was penned by C.P. Zaner um, as a model for his students to use. And so when you finished your course of study after about six months or a year, whatever the time was, you had to produce this, and you were graded, and it were given certain types of seals. This was what they call artistic writing, but it's basically Spencerian penmanship or, or ornamental penmanship, very fancy form. But we actually own these specimens because nobody cares about them. It was awarded one of three levels of seals. The gold seal was the highest accommodation. Uh, the red seal second, and then the green seal third. My mentor, Bill Lilly, had the gold seal on his. One of our Iampeth members, still alive today, he's in his, uh, Chris, I think, is around 90, but I think he's still like bike rides and rollerblades. And uh, Try talking to Chris Castaris on the phone, and it's like, all right, Chris, slow down, I can't keep up with you. But this was his denarian certificate. He was an engrossing. But Chris could do copper plate, or what he'd call engrosser script. He could do ornamental penmanship, text lettering, illumination. Chris went on to study with Arnold Bank, pretty famous American calligrapher and, 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 and font designer. Um, when I called Chris on the phone, this is actually quite interesting. I called him and I you know, introduced myself, and he could not get over that I knew who he was. And so I'm like, well, Chris, let me ask you a question. Do you have your certificate? Yeah. Can, you know, can I get a scan of it? He says, I'm not sure I know where it is. So all of a sudden, he puts the phone down, and he hears everything falling. Like, Chris, you okay? You okay? He apparently had it buried in the bottom of his closet. So he dug it out, and he was kind enough to get me a scan of it. But you see some signatures on there. Lupfer's signature is in the middle, and, and Parker Zaner Blozer's signature is below that. Uh, now imagine the work it took to do this, right? Anyone who's a calligrapher knows what it's like to illuminate. Then imagine having to sign it without making a mistake. 
And when they signed these things, Bill Lilly, I'll show you Bill's. Chris was, was, was called the Wonder Boy by, by Luffer because he was so good at many different disciplines. And that was, oh, by the way, that was both Chris on the left and Lupfer on the right. Here's Bill Lilly's certificate, gold seal. And uh, Bill had to do it, he said, two or three times before they accept it. And uh, he was given walnut ink that was derived from walnut uh, husks that was, I think, 40 years old at the time Lupfer gave it to him. But he tells the story of Parker Zaner Blozer's signature. He said, you know, he had this signature, he was sitting in front of it, and Blozer had the pen, and he started doing these fast movements with his hands, going through the motion in his head. He literally landed the pen and executed it. Because you can only get line quality of this, well, lines of that quality with no hesitation, no, no thought. And almost every single modern pen, with the exception of maybe three or four, do this. That's not how that was done. That was done like this. Like that. And Lupfer, of course, on the other, one, on the other side. That's one of the earliest envelopes Bill ever sent to me. You can make out the blue violin in the back. And When Bill graduated, he was offered a position at the White House as a White House engrosser. I'm not sure if many people are aware of this. We still have calligraphers in residence at the White House. There are about three I know of. They're called engrossers. Uh, the head of that is Pat Blair. Uh, Rick Muffler, a good friend of ours. These are all people from my ampith. Um, Pat Blair is there. Uh, Rick Muffler. I get a kick because I call Rick at work occasionally. And just the idea that I can pick up a phone and dial the White House and get somebody to pick up at the other end is amazing to me. So... C.P. Zayner. Zayner died in 1918, tragically. One of the first people to own a car. He did very well. And he actually, this car was hit, but most of the people in the, uh, this picture was taken a few days before he died. Most of the people were in that car. He was hit by a train crossing railroad tracks. And that's his, the announcement of his death. So, a few of the characters during this golden age of ornamental penmanship, plus some of their work. So, what made it the golden age? Because there were so many qualified people to do it. You had this uniquely American form of writing, this Spencerian script, ornamental penmanship. You had this American-derived form from Roundhand, the engrossers and engraver script, which we call copper plate. But they took it to such a high level. I mean, this is some of the finest engrosser script. I'm going to use the term copper plate to describe this just because it's simpler for me right now. But this was penned by Baird, but Baird also did that letter in the illumination. And when you see these things in person, and we have many of these, it looks like you could actually reach into that letter and pick out the acanthus leaves. That's how well it's done. There were female penmen, and I will apologize for some of these images because the hairlines are so fine they're very difficult to reproduce. Eileen Richardson was actually the, the founding member, one of the founding members of my organization, Iampeth. In 1949, they, they founded the, the group. She, she, uh, her daughter, Joy, is still a member of the group. And uh, what's that? No, she's not. No. And I, I, I don't have a, a date of birth or decease on her. I wanted to ask Joy about it one and I just got sidetracked. Her father, Fred Richardson, was also a penman. Um, and he's also gone as well. Did you know Eileen? Oh, really? But she was also a wonderful penman. This, uh, this is F.B. Courtney, Francis B. Courtney. Courtney was almost, 
I don't know, he was sort of unique among his peers in that he was so gifted with the pen. Uh, he was ambidextrous. He could write an ornamental script in opposite directions at the same time. There's actually a shot, and this, this is one of the specimens I have hanging on my wall at home. Um, this top bird, and Jake can relate to this because Jake is probably one of the best bird flourishes around, but this was, this was done pretty, pretty quickly by Courtney. It was a planned out piece to some degree, but the reason why people did what's called offhand flourishing, the history of this, is back in the times of itinerant penmen, penmen who would travel around, they were trying to track students. This is in the mid to late 1800s. They'd set up on the street with their pens, and they'd start doing work to attract people. And that's how, the, that's how this offhand flourishing started. But the, all of this even comes from before. You can find specimens like this in England or in Europe, across Europe, but not done the same way. Courtney could have probably executed, with the exception of all the elements, maybe the bird and some of the flourishing, probably in less than probably two, three minutes. I mean, it's, it's done that quickly. And those lines are just... Here's a shot of Courtney writing his name at the board. Now, there are people who maybe can do this, but he can do it pretty precisely. Uh, this is what they would also call blackboard flourishing at the bottom. Um, and I've tried to describe these to people. He had the ability to write these forms of letters that you just... His mind was on a different plane when it came to this stuff. I remember there was a comic I read. Somebody was watching Einstein at the board write stuff down. And the guy whispers to the other one, he says, do you understand this? And the guy says, no, but I'm definitely confused on a higher level now. And so, I mean, this is some type of script that you can read backwards or something. I don't know. He, this is something else. I can't, these are all letter forms of the heads. Yeah, what do you have to do with it? Look at it from an angle. Yeah, I, I still can't do it, Jake. I, I'm old eyes, I guess. But it was just to be able to come up with something like that. He'd always write letters to people and put these little guys in there, you know, and then sort of incorporate them, those design elements into the, uh, into the cards. William E. Dennis, the reason why I put this up here is because he's somebody who best illustrates what's not known about U.S. calligraphers at the time. Uh, and penmen and engrossers, is that there was a school of thought that before Edward Johnston from England came out with his really important books, Writing, Illuminating, and Lettering, that nobody knew how to do this stuff. And the reality was these guys were doing this all through the 1800s. We have those documents. They, they exist in certain halls of, of law. There was a thought that they were only doing hand-drawn letters and filling them in. But Dennis was executing letters. With, those are some of his, his quill pens that he had. Um, and, of course, he went through probably thousands of quill pens in his life. But, you know, there were people here and probably in other countries doing that work. But what, what Johnson's contribution was, he sort of like codified everything and got it into book form. And a very important work. And it's not every time you top, this topic comes up on the ornamental penmanship group, you can almost get into a war over it because people think you're attacking Johnston. We're not. We're just saying that there wasn't the dark ages before him. People did this and they were taught this in school. Uh, and Johnson's work, I've read every one of his books and they're, you know, very important works. This specimen is here. It's up there. Uh, this was penned in, you can see it here, 1886 by W.E. Dennis. And believe it or not, it was folded and put into an envelope and sent to somebody. And so let me make sure you get a chance to see that one. But this, this particular bird was based on a, a bird that his mentor would do. His mentor was a guy named G, uh, George Gaskell. 
And Gaskell was a student in the law cabin of Platt Rogers Spencer Sr. Studied Spencerian script with the master. And then he went on to take, to take it a little bit further. But Gaskell was a master of business. I mean, he had the Gaskell's you know, homeschooling course, and I think he was probably a millionaire just from that alone. Earl Lupfer, uh, one of the most influential teachers at the Zanarian College, became principal. He was Bill Lilly's mentor. But just look how wonderfully <laughs> the movement in this. Now, this is a combination of what you'd call copper plate lowercase with ornamental or Spencerian ornamental capitals. So you can't categorize this as one thing. Louis Madaraz. I mentioned Madaraz before. And Jake will attest to this. When we get together with us at Iampeth, the name that comes up the most is this gentleman. He was considered to be the greatest ornamental pemmin uh, probably of all time. Now, what made him that way? Well, besides the fact that he had some pretty precise ability to write, we believe he was one of the seminal figures in developing Spencerian to the more artistic form. Because when Madaraz hit, everything looked pretty simple, very light shading between him and someone named A.D. Taylor, whose specimen's also up there, they developed this style. And we think it was the combination of the right penman with the right pen, steel pen, and the oblique pen holder. And those are actually three of his actual pen holders. But he went through, he went through these things like probably dozens every six months. And that's a form, again, of... That's more Spencerian than bulk of the writing. Washington, those lowercase letters are more copper plate-like, and the capital, again, is ornamental or Spencerian-like. But this was done pretty rapidly. And another important distinction with Madaraz, when you write in grocery script, the way it was taught back then, the Zanarian form, they'd have you pick up at the baseline every time. So you'd come down, you'd lift your pen, and there'd be a space there. Then you'd make your hairline stroke. Madaraz hated that style. Actually, wrote, wrote, you know, he was pretty verbal about disliking it, and he wrote some article about, you know, he called it a stunted style. Madaraz's style was very fluid. And while I looked at it as being Zenarian-based in my approach, my style of writing is more like Madaraz. I don't stop at the baseline. I have continuous movement. This piece I put in here for a reason, because sometimes people would look at something. When I was first in this, I'd look at this and think he did this with the pen in one stroke, never realizing it was built up. Never, never occurred to me. And that shows you how he did it. But the other reason I put this in, for those who remember for, far enough back, there's some, you know, the original Coca-Cola bottles, that's distinctive lettering. Well, he always told the story that he was the one who gave the guy who designed that the, the style of doing it. Never got credit for it. There's no way to prove that. But that, that's very much like an Coca, old, early Coca-Cola style of writing. Norder, another one of my heroes, uh, worked in Pittsburgh. Uh, does anybody here have or know of the Zenarian Manual, the book? Okay, for those of you who do know, this is actually the original from, the, from that book. And that's up there, too. And I think, from my perspective, that number four is the prettiest number four I've ever seen. You know, I just, I just love the way those numbers look. Now, one interesting thing about this, well, many, but one I've always looked at, is that, as a general rule, all shades that are on the vertical have to be on the main slant angle for, the, for them to look good. But if you notice, the, the, the number eight crosses it from one side to the other. So typically, if you look at any of the shades up on top, okay, the very near, the, the other exception with this would be capital N. 
And that's something I'm going to get into in great detail tomorrow in my workshop. Uh, but typically, all shades are on that slant angle. But this one sort of crosses over it. It works because the ovals that the eight are built on have their long axis on that slant angle. They're all the same slant. Who's got a time on them? I don't want to just keep you here all night. Oh, good, okay. So here's Charles Paxton Zaner. And this is, this is remarkable work. I mean, and to give you a hint of how this was executed, if you look at the original, um, the, when he did this, what he did is he went ahead and mapped out the path of the pen with a pencil. He went back and executed it lickety-split because his lines don't match the pencil, but they're sort of, kind of sort of in the area. But it wasn't tracing. This was done very rapidly. Because again, if you've seen even the best modern penmen try and do this with finger motion, there's always squiggles in the hairline. Not here. And this is the background that I use for my Zenarian.com website. I mean, I, that almost looks like it was drawn with like a protractor or something, but it wasn't. Modern penmen, you'll hear Jake and me talk about John DeColibus. I consider John to be probably the greatest pointed pen person alive right now. Uh, and so, although Jake, soon, buddy, soon. Uh, you know, so, but John does a different style than I do, and that's probably why we can exist in the same room together. <laughs> so, but John actually wrote both the Declaration and, the, and uh, a few other pieces he wrote. I forget which, but he was using these. These were actually prints he made up, okay? So <laughs> John was using these to wrap things. I'm like, John, do you have a scan of this? He's like, no. I'll tell you what, send me one. So I took it to Kinko's and had to scan in high resolution, or else this would have been... Most calligraphers in this room, I think most of you send stuff out. You're commissioned to do stuff, you, you, you write something, it goes away, it goes somewhere else. Myself too, but I tend to scan a lot of stuff. So that's his writing. Uh, and by the way, when you look up here, this envelope was a Christmas envelope that John sent to me. And so... You know, feel free to look at this. It's just one, even you can't make it out, but just the shading, how even things are, even from a distance, you can tell there's uniformity there. Um, so when I first, when I first went to my, what happened with me is I started seriously in 1999, and I didn't have a clue how to angulate the pen, how to ink the pen, and so I was a dentist at the time, and uh, I was putting rubber bands around my pen to keep the ink on there because without it, I couldn't write more than half a letter before the, I was lost. I lost the ink. And so I was going down to the Department of Biochemistry to, to, to speak to somebody in the office. And as I'm walking in the door, the secretary's nameplate was hand-illuminated. And I could tell right away it was someone who knew what they were doing. So I'm like, you know, you know Rose, did you do this? She said, no, Annabelle's a calligrapher. So I forgot all about what I was going on down there before I did, you know, went over to see Annabelle. And I was like, Annabelle, are you a calligrapher? She's like, yeah. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm struggling so much with this pointed pen stuff. I says, you know, she says, oh, Joe, in two weeks our convention is going to be here. I'm like, what convention? She says, there's a group called Iampeth. And so sure enough, I went there, and the first person I come in, I walk in the door, is watching John DeColibus write. And when John writes, John, John's one of the few people who truly possess full arm and muscular movement. And so he's a lefty, though. He's lefty. But we won't hold that against him. And, so, and when I was watching John write, from across the room, you could tell it was different because he had almost like a ballet movement to his, right, Jake? I mean, watching him write, if you don't see what he's doing, you know it's beautiful. And, uh, and so I remember watching, he made this big sweeping motion with the stroke. I'm like, ah, he missed it. <laughs> and I went down, wait a minute, 
and there was this hairline that was so faint. And he had this huge, thick stroke. And they kept writing letters. I'm like, how's he writing letters? Do you have like an ink supply in his pen holder that's shooting ink into the pen point? So <laughs> he was very kind. He sat me down. He explained, no, you have to use the right pen. You have to use the right ink. You have to clean your pen, your pen point. And that put me on the right path. And very quickly, my script improved. Because I met very, very generous people at Iampeth that really helped me. This is Mike Sull I mentioned before. You can see back in 94, when I first thought about this stuff, I contacted him and he was gracious enough to write me a nice, beautiful letter um, in his form of Spencerian slash ornamental. Um, but I didn't really pick it up until about 99. That's when I really had a burning passion for it. What I did was use the pen with my own style. I hear people say that to me all the time in calligraphy. It's my own style. God bless you. Do whatever you want with your style. It's fine with me. But, you know, I was going after something that looked like the old masters. That's what I wanted to attain. And so you have to know the path to get there. Brian Walker from England. And again, I apologize about the bad scans with this, but I can't get them to look any better. Brian is probably one of the finest Smithsonian penmen on the planet. Uh, he was also a founding member of, I think it's Class in England. You know, he's a pretty, pretty well-known well calligrapher. His italic work is beautiful. Illumination, too. But he's a wonderful, he teaches a Spencerian workshop in England every year, the way Mike, Mike Sull does a Spencerian workshop as well, the Spencerian Saga every year in uh, Astabula County, Ohio, I think, where Platt Roger Spencer was born. And for those of you who think you can't do it, I always put this up there. Just take this in for a minute. J.C. Ryan, he was known as the handless penman. He had no, he had no arm below his elbow. And so he would hold a pen holder like this. And all the movement came from the rocking of his body. And he was able to write like that. So if someone tells me they have no talent or they can't do this, I'm like, well, here. And I also will show people what my writing looked like. And I have the, I have the earliest writing of Earl Lupfer. There was a time where Lupfer, who was Bill Lilly's mentor, was told, don't quit your day job, kid, by C.P. Zayner. He, he, he to, used to love to tell the story at Iampeth meetings. He told me, he, he, not me, but he, he, Lupfer was saying he told me I didn't have what it takes to be a penman. And so that put the fire into Lupfer's heart, I guess, to do it. And he became one of the finest all-around penmen ever. But this is absolutely amazing. This is my script. You may have seen this already, although it doesn't look like it blew up too well. Thank you very much for your time.